You're listening to the Slavic Literature Pod, your shelf-help guide to all things Slavic. I'm Cameron Lalana. And I'm Matt Garrison-Lomich. And today we are covering Part 1, Chapter 8 of Vasily Grossman's Life and Fate. And if I sound different, it's because most of this time we usually record before I leave work, and I've been recording in this really haunted abandoned wing. Um, yep. And then I mentioned that to a coworker yesterday. And then she said to me, why don't you use one of our many recording booths in this new station? And I said, when you put it that way, I guess, yeah, I do walk past an entire hallway of recording booths uh, five days out of the week. So you could probably live in one of them and nobody would notice. <laughs> uh, reporters record in the field at this point. So, well, for podcasters, this are this is our field, you know. Yeah. So basically, we deserve this booth. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and set up. Anywho, today we are talking, we are still talking about Stalingrad. This is by far the shortest chapter we've had so far. You're welcome. <laughs> so far, we, the feedback we got from people in the Discord is that um, they had to go a little further because apparently half a page is not that satisfying. Yeah. Some of you are sick. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. You know, you, you're you staring on the barrel at the rest of this novel, and you have the audacity to say, no, I need more, Vasily. I need more. This isn't enough of a chapter for me. Yeah, Who are you to tell Grossman what to do? But anyhow, is there anywhere you wanted to start in particular? I just wanted to start on the shortness of the chapter. I talked about it in the, in the post today, and... My my point being that the sort of pace of the book feels at times almost inverse to the length of the chapter. The, the shorter the chapter, the more tense whatever Grossman is about to write is going to be. Maybe not always. Sometimes he uses them as sort of a step back. Here's my IR theory. Um, I'm one credit short of graduating. Here's my IR thesis that I need to complete this requirement. Sure. Sometimes he does something like that. Uh, this one... I, I don't know. It just you, you can really feel him kind of amping up the the tension to the sort of action of the novel, which I, I think is good. I think that it's really it's it's hard now kind of in retrospect to look back at historical events and remember that they could have gone differently. And as a matter of fact, as he's showing us, they really almost did go differently. Um, they they really, really almost went differently uh, to the point that everybody that was participating in them, as it seems, seem to have thought they were going to go differently, right? All the soldiers are sitting there waiting to, they're just wondering at what point, you know, the Germans are going to break through and essentially kill them all. Yeah, right. Do you mind actually reading the the quote you selected for today? Because there's there's something interesting about that that I was, I was reading about today that I wanted to share. Okay. Yeah, so this, this quote that I really liked at, at the very end of the chapter says that hundreds of men live day after day with the same terrible question. What will happen tomorrow or next week? When the thin band of the Soviet defenses is reduced to a thread, when this thread is snapped by the iron teeth of the German offensive. So I was thinking about that in two contexts, both the context of what you wrote, uh, but as well as what a reader shared today, or uh, one of our listeners, uh, and I will share their thought in a second. But uh, I've, I've been reading the biography of Vasily Grossman by John and Carol Garrard. Uh, the second edition is called The Life and Fate of Vasily Grossman. And possibly this chapter is influenced by the writing of life and fate itself life and fate itself 
uh, you know, they, they were, of course, big <laughs> Grossman uh, fans, I should say. So they have this one part. I'm going to read talking about that thin line that Grossman's talking about, in this case, metaphorical, but also in a literal sense, not really that metaphorical. At this point in the battle, um, I'm going to quote directly from the Gerard's um, biography here. After the Germans had taken 99% of the city, talking about Stalingrad here, the only corridor back to Soviet lines where he could file his stories, talking about Grossman, was the Volga River. The Germans realized the significance of the Volga ferry landings, and it was around them that the battle revolved. Uh, the vital 1% of Stalingrad they did not take, including the islands of surrounding Red Army soldiers that dotted the city, constituted that tiny strip of continuous front on which the ferries landed. Uh, and so that's like... When we're talking about these banks, the left bank and right bank, that is really the last part of the city the, that's being held meaningfully by the Red Army. Everyone on the uh, the right bank who are in combat, their backs are against the water. And, uh, the, you know, how much they actually hold depends on the day. But, uh, you know, at the minimum amount, the guards say, you know, the depth of that front, how much they you know, how much of the land they held went down to at times 300 meters, which is about three football fields, both American football and slightly off from, you know, foot, real football. But like, that's when Grossman said, Don't appeal line. to the Europeans, Cam, and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the portion of our audience, I, I feel a need. We have to acknowledge everyone, you know? We want, we want the, the, ex, the exploitive, concussive helmet football. <laughs> <laughs> the only real football. Yeah. So when Grossman's talking about this thin line being snapped, you know, this thin line literally is down to the hundreds of meters between victory, uh, well, eventual victory for the Soviet forces and almost certain defeat. This makes me think, too, about Tolstoy, because we were talking a little bit about this yesterday. We're riffing on it a bit. Probably talk about it in a longer episode when we have more time. But a lot of Tolstoy's critique of warfare is, well, how could you know where people are? And Grossman's like, buddy we can literally see them like we can <laughs> we're watching them uh, and that that brings a, a a much different uh set of circumstances to the war overall yeah and we're not really dealing with the war overall we're really dealing with just this particular battle right absolutely instead of like in war and peace where you have young count rostov running through the forest just looking for a target that's not true here they all know they're in that one house they've been fighting for the same house for the last month you know 200 people have died for this <laughs> piece of land yeah and there's really nothing fun about this type of war I, I i'm not really sure that people are in the same way really excited to go off to fight the german i mean like people are are how, how would you phrase it like uh maybe proud to do their part or sure. hopeful to you know contribute to victory but they're not in the same way like oh this will be a fun thing i've been playing war games since i was a kid with my cousins this will be the same thing it's not quite like that yeah absolutely i think there's a great example of that in stalingrad where we have a peasant whose name i forget at the moment uh, but he'll be entering the story later where he is called up to the front and of course, he feels that it's is his duty to do so, and he knows that it's important. And if he doesn't do it, uh, possibly everything he holds dear will be lost. But as he's leaving, he can't help but feel everything he's leaving behind, his family, all the chores he left undone. And I think that's a good depiction of you know this attitude, which is so drastically different from what Tolstoy is displaying, at least for the officer class in War and Peace. Yeah. 
I really do have a soft spot for Stalingrad. I know Life and Fate is technically the better of the two books. It's the better remembered. But man, I just can't stop thinking about Stalingrad. It has like some element of like almost borderline purple prose that was kind of in at that time. I just really love. There's some passages in there that I don't think that I'll ever see replicated about war, even in this book. So not to just right. keep plugging our Stalingrad series, but hey, we made a 10 parter, so <laughs> we may as well. So let me go ahead and share a, a quotation from Leia in the Discord today, uh, who is tackling, I believe, uh, both Life and Fate and Stalingrad right now and was tempted to read War and Peace. So um, I hope you don't do that. But if you do, good luck. Uh, and uh, Leia shares, as Matt says, this chapter is riddled with anxiety. The image of the dead being buried next to soldiers going about the everyday tasks of shaving, eating, drinking, and washing in the previous chapter becomes especially poignant in the light of this short passage, where the Soviet forces have no real comprehension of how the Battle of Stalingrad will unfold. It seems only natural that someone would cling to whatever routine they can carve out in this hellscape of a situation. What else is there? So bring together today and today, yesterday and today, right? You can see the... <laughs> I think anxiety is a good word for it, uh, of basically being on the verge of losing and feeling possibly that this will, this, this is it, right? I mean, I think historically, whether or not losing Stalingrad would have actually led to the end of the war, hard to say, but certainly, you know, it's true that the Germans after losing at Stalingrad had no major victories following that. So the morale victory certainly had impact. Yeah. I, I liked what Leia said that, um, as Matt says, that was a good, I think that's a good way to frame kind of the beginning of your analysis. Start with a reliable, trusted source uh, with what I'm saying, and then kind of build out <laughs> from there. there. There is something similar to Tolstoy here. Again, I know we're, we're completely harping on it, but it is something that's, it, I mean, they're built very similarly kind of from the ground up and this idea of of habit is uh, huge in Tolstoy. The people are essentially what their habits are. And it's not that you can't ever change. It's not that you have some fixed human nature. It's just you are sort of the sum of your habits. And in this case, when everything around you is broken down, you resort to what those habits are. And this is what you kind of get. Uh, in in contrast, you get these minute, tiny ha habits just being clashed with in this enormous war uh and she realizes it's sort of a battle of habits in a lot of ways uh going from there i also wanted to share another thought this is maybe just kind of a start of a point but maybe something to track uh this is coming from a discord user the bookworm stories uh who is talking responding to leia's point and says war and peace definitely starts off on a happier note than this one unless of course we can draw a parallel between the camp banter and anna pavlovna's soiree and maybe that's a point to think through, track. Certainly you were interested in it, Matt. Well, because in War and Peace you have the any of these parties, these balls, which are sort of the uh, piece around which everything seems to revolve and sort of action takes place. And so you, you have something that functions similarly when you have people sitting around in the camps talking. And I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's different. For sure, it's different. But there is something interesting there that I think if you really saw that, you can make that comparison. 
I hadn't really thought of it like that before. And so I was just, I, I really like hearing what people have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Love to hear novel thoughts. I think that's something I've been enjoying a lot so far about hearing people's thoughts is that there's just things that people throw out that I have not thought of and probably would never have thought of. Mm -hmm. And it's super cool to see how everyone's bringing these own, their own novel connections. Yeah, the chapter a day has been pretty fun so far. Yeah, absolutely. Even though we're only a weekend. I'll probably regret it by like day 100. <laughs> yeah, our current uh, prediction is about two months in is we're going to hit the usual uh, like low point for recording a long series and then we'll bounce back by the end. But we'll see how it goes. And then we'll live on kind of in perpetual future plugs of the series. <laughs> right. Well, at that point, it'll be almost impossible to uh, find our other episodes after 300 episodes. So... Sure. Maybe we should have started this on a separate RSS feed. I thought about it, but hey, that's a different discussion. Hey, well, we'll join along with us on that journey as we figure out how to make uh, <laughs> navigating our podcast usable after the end of this. <laughs> uh, I do have one last one to share, I think, before we wrap up. This one's coming in from Disco Barbello, who's coming in just under the wire. And by that, I mean messaging as we're recording this. Um, and uh, I, I happen to drop in what I shared earlier about that 300 meters from the guards biography, um, Disco Barbello is responding to that. That is so scary to think about. I mean, maybe the Nazis would have lost the war even if they did take Stalingrad, but I can't imagine the pressure on the people defending it. I find it interesting how the band of defenders in the map are compared with the band of the Volga. I'm guessing this is a Russian thing, but it's interesting having this natural feature so intimately tied in with the human beings fighting this battle. Simultaneously, assigned a kind of test strategic abstraction, a potent national symbol, and, well, a river with all that implies. And quoting here, the band separating the red line of the Soviet defenses from the light blue of the Volga grew steadily thinner. Quote, and it's like they're emerging, or maybe one can even see it as the barrier between life and death. Thinking about it further, war is such a human drama, but so often the course of war is determined by nature, oceans, rivers, mountains, deserts, jungles, forests, etc. Yeah, I mean... Volga is a huge symbol for the Russians. It's a, I don't know, maternal symbol. It's a national symbol. So it, it is important that they defend it. And I do think Grossman's playing kind of with that visual depiction of it as well. Absolutely. Well, unless there's anything else you wanted to cover. No, I feel like this is our longest episode on the shortest chapter. We've reversed Grossman's pace. <laughs> as is our role. All right. Well, uh, tomorrow possibly will be shorter. We'll see if this trend continues of inverting the length of the chapter with the length of the episode. But for now, thank you for being here, and we will you will hear from us tomorrow. Hey, 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 hey.